Welcome to Viking Podcast, episode number two. Uh, today we are here with Steve Wittrickish. Um, he is a strength and conditioning coach here at Viking Strength. And we're going to talk today about sports performance, uh, some of the uh, truths and myths that are interlaced within that concept. So, uh, Steve, uh, let's get started with this and tell us what you know. All right. Well, what's going on, Journey? So, um, I think a good way to lead off this discussion is is to actually like take a step back and get the first principles, which would be because we're going to make some claims today, and you know you can either accept them or deny them. But the, I think where the, the great place to start would be like, how do you know something is true? And that's a question I've asked myself a number of times uh, throughout the last year because there's so much information out there and contradictory information. So how do you know something's true? And, uh, you know, I can answer that on my behalf because I've thought about it for a while and then I'll toss it over to you and see if you have anything different to add. Um, so first, how do I know something's true or how do I believe something's true is I'll, I'll look at the analysis. You know, is it logical? Is it reasonable? Does the, the, uh, the argument make sense from a logical uh, philosophical uh, standpoint. Just go a hair closer there. Okay. Yeah. The second is beautiful. The second is the opinion. The opinion of you know qualified people who you know have earned uh, say that, that respect or someone that I respect. I know they're qualified in, in other areas, and I believe what they say is true. And if there is something new, I believe them as well. So I'll ascribe some uh, uh, some credibility to that. The third is uh, is like what actually occurred. Okay, so that you know that's called phenomenology. It's like, what do you actually observe? You know, um, you know, what are the results you actually see out in the field? And then the third or the fourth would be just like my experience or your experience and and what you've discerned from that. So I know as I reflect on my life, sometimes I don't realize things or the discernment of things until I've actually experienced it and experienced it much later is when I actually come to the realization. So those four things is what I would ascribe to or look at to decide or whether or not I believe something is true. So I'll toss it back to you, see if there's anything you got to add or if you've even thought about that question over the last little while. Oh, yeah, no. I think, like we were just saying a minute ago, is I, I think about that concept all the time. Um, sometimes in, in the gym, sometimes in life, where it seems like down is up and up is down anymore, and some people are right and everybody else is just wrong, and so I do understand like with with this idea of strength, especially, and then even into even deeper into uh, strength and conditioning with athletes, um, there's what we, I guess, always have thought we know, and then maybe there's other ways to look at it. Maybe, maybe some people's truths aren't as true as they think. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see, and I'm, I'm fired up to... To get into this so let's go okay let's go so we're gonna make some bold claims we're gonna try back it up yep and we'll come back to that a few times it's like how the hell do you know that's true right all right so i think on the uh the war on weakness podcast we talked about strength mm -hmm. and we made the claim strength is the most important physical attribute we possess we possess in life because Everything else, all other athletic attributes, depend on strength. They're a function of it. So strength would be the, the integral. Other attributes are the uh, derivative, like power, speed, agility, balance. So all other attributes depend on strength. That's what it comes down to. So I guess, you know, how do I, uh, how do I know that's true? Back to that question. Well, you know, I listen to the analysis. That makes sense. I can sort of prove that from, you know, algebra equations, um, the opinion of qualified people, you know, like you look at Ripito, Delgadillo, lots of really qualified coaches uh, know that. And then the phenomenology, I just, you know, what I observe in life, stronger people are more robust than weaker people. Like we see it all the time. And then I know uh, as I get to athletic performance, you know, I think about my own uh, journey as an athlete when I, uh, when I was an aspiring hockey player and what that took me through. So. We can talk about that a little bit and then get into the uh, yeah, and I mean the meat of the the subject here too. And I think too is the idea of strength is take it away and you'll see how important it is. Right. You know what I mean? Like you get a lot of people that almost I wouldn't say look down upon it, but they sweep it to the side, thinking that agility is most important or that speed is most important. But the thing is, is if you take away strength, 
you lose pretty much all of it. It's yeah. almost the basis in which he said, like, try to get out of bed every morning without using strength. Right. Yeah. Not going to happen. It's your independence. Absolutely. Yeah. My right. wife has to hand me the pickle jar to yeah. open it because she's not strong enough. Absolutely. She relies on me to do that. Absolutely. So it's your independence. Yeah. So I think that that should be very paramount in the, th- the way we look at this is, you know, when we go into the, in this facility and, and make people stronger, is there other aspects to human performance? Absolutely. But it all starts with strength. Because it makes them all easier. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You're more agile if you are, if you seem lighter. Right. You know? Yeah. So. Exactly. Because it yeah. makes it sub-maximal. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I was, you know, so I said earlier, sometimes I, I discern something years later. Right. So, you know, we can talk a, a few stories. Ab- the more stories, the better. So, when I was a kid growing up, I wanted to be a hockey player, just like every other kid from Calvington, Saskatchewan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was pretty good. But I didn't physically mature until later in life. So, you know, at the age of 15 years old, I probably still weighed 120 pounds. And that's, you know, at that time, that's when you started to be looked at by AAA midget teams and junior hockey teams and stuff like that. And I remember going to camps. I went to camps and I just was overlooked. And I did everything I could to make that team. I played as hard as I could. I, you know, that's when hockey was pretty tough and you always fought. And I always fought big guys. I remember coming home from a, a junior camp. I had fought twice. Both guys were way bigger than me. I came home with two black eyes. I felt pretty good, but was completely, you know, just overlooked, yep. let's say. And, uh, you know, I would say got frustrated. So by the time I was in, uh, you know, didn't make anything through grade 11, grade 12, um, I just played, I played midget hockey, then I played senior men's hockey. And that's when I started to physically mature. My strength started to realize a little bit. And I remember playing against guys, you know, this is senior men's hockey. I'm 17 years old, going up against guys that are in their late 20s, 30s, who had played some pretty damn good hockey. You know, you know, you know they're, they're legends that came back to their hometown to play. And, you know, you hear talk and addressing, well, be careful for this guy. He's, he's, he's a mean son of a gun. Yeah. And, uh, and then you come to realize that you get in the corner with him or he comes in a one-on-one, I play defense, and you put him on his butt. And he's like, holy shit. <laughs> and it builds your confidence. Yeah. And, and I remember that year I played senior hockey, and I mean, I took some brutal punishment because it was tough hockey. Um, but you, you sort of get, you get you, I, I started getting recognized a little bit. Uh, you know, AAA hockey coach would say, you, sh- you know, why are you not playing AAA midget hockey? You should be playing that. And it's like, well, <laughs> didn't make it. You didn't say that two years ago. Yeah. So, uh, so I finished that year. My grade 12 year, I went to school at St. Pete's College, which is just outside of Humboldt, Saskatchewan. And again, I played senior, senior men's hockey out there with the Leroy Braves. And again, played with some good hockey. We had a guy, we had Roger Cortco on our team who had played with the New York Islanders. We had uh, Barlogie played um, WHL. You played against guys that had played university, WHL hockey. Yeah. And I started to realize I can play with these guys. And, you know, again, you, you hear the dressing room talk, be careful, this guy's big and strong. Yeah. And then you put your hip into them and watch them bounce off you. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. The game got <coughs> easier. And I remember at the end of the season, we had a great season. We won, we won the league. We ended up losing in the provincial semifinal. And, uh, and I remember, like, court goes saying, hey, do you want me to get you a tryout? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how to respond. I wasn't very mentally mature at that time. Mm-hmm. But I went home that summer and, you know, I trained and worked out hard. I mean, training is the wrong word, but I worked out hard all my life. But I really just, that summer I worked for a farmer. No, I worked construction. And, uh, and I just put a vision in my head. So I'm going to play for the Huskies. That was my goal. And that's all I dreamed about for the next uh, four or five months. So worked out, trained all. And that's the university team. That's right. Yep. yep. And uh, and I went to school. So by this time, you know, I graduated high high school as maybe one fifty five, one sixty. I go to uh, as a nineteen year old to uh, the Husky tryouts as a walk on, at about one eighty, one eighty five, and I made the team as a redshirt. Yeah. I like I actually did it. Nice. And uh, so I didn't play any games that year, but I practiced with them all season. The Saskatoon Royals Junior B hockey team picked me up, and maybe my most memorable season was that season because yeah. I was on the ice every day, plus played about 60 junior games. We dethroned the Canistano Tigers. They were about the seven-time league champions, Western Canadian champions. We beat them in seven games. 
Really? It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. A wonderful series. Seven games and nine nights. Cool. All four of our wins were in overtime. The last win was double overtime. And, like, we were so beat up after that. But yeah. what a wonderful experience. And, like, played with some real good hockey players on that team. <coughs> that next huh. summer, I worked construction. I lifted. I worked with big pipes and all yeah. that kind of stuff. My, here's what my summer looked like. I'd get up at about 5.30, be at work by 6, work uh, a 10-hour, 10, 10 to 12-hour shift. I would eat about 12 sandwiches, come home, go straight to the gym, spend two hours at the gym, maybe come home, maybe go for a run, head across the street to uh, Chester Fried Chicken, get the biggest chicken meal I could get, eat, go to bed, do the same thing, and then weekend party like hell. Yeah. <laughs> I, went from, I went from about a 185 to 210 that summer in four months. And I came back and actually, <laughs> I got tested for steroids. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> My coach, he, he didn't sign me until I had passed the test. Really? So it was a random test, but yeah, he wouldn't sign me to the roster until I had passed the test. Is that it was right? random. Yeah. And what year was that? Uh, that would have been around, it was in the mid-90s. I graduated in 98, so I'm going to say 95 or 96. 95, 96 oh, season. Fuck. Yep. I didn't even think they tested for yeah, university, like, especially sports. a university. Yeah, yeah they, they take it pretty seriously. Is that yeah, right? yeah, I got tested twice in university. Nice. So you know you're doing something right when yeah. they're testing you for juice. <laughs> <laughs> I was told it was random, but yeah. you know who yeah, knows? Yeah, right. Well, so, they randomly picked the biggest guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that year, you know, I remember uh, my first few games, and so now, like, I went from again, I put on twenty five pounds of muscular body weight. Yeah. And then players, and then, so again, I'm still, I'm only 19 years old or just, no, sorry, 20, but some of these guys are in their mid twenties, late twenties even. And just the feeling of them bouncing off me yeah. when I'd hit them. And uh, I remember, uh, I think it was Jason Hines <coughs> and I was like, just keep knocking the tar out of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Um, so I played that full season and uh, I, I didn't get a ton of ice time. I, when I did play, I played really well, but it was a short season. You don't get a lot of games. Yeah. And so, you know, the coach is going to go with the, the, the proven players. Um, we did have a great season, and I ended up playing another two and a half years. We even shared the ice with some of the NHL hockey players. I forget yeah. the year. I think it was 96 during the lockout. Yeah. Like, Curtis LeCision, that was a beast of a man. I oh, remember. really? Oh, gosh. Like, I, big or just big muscular? Big and strong. Oh, really? Strong. Oh, man. Going one-on-one -on -one with him. You know, bull in the ring. Really, he was a strong mother of a. Oh, dude. really? Yeah. How he, big would have he been? Oh, I'm gonna guess here, but like he, I would guess he was at least six two, six three, and you know, anywhere from two twenty to two. Oh, so he was just strong though. He was so strong. Was he in Ottawa? Oh, he played Ottawa. Did he play St. Louis? I think. Oh man, we're going back a ways yeah. now. He did play with the Senators. I, I don't remember yeah. his whole career, but he was from Saskatoon. So was, okay. you know, we had a few of the the local guys. Uh, yeah. You know, Pat Ellenick was another. Um, I'm trying to remember them all. That uh, Kelly Chase came back. Was, Chelsea, yeah, yeah. We he's from out there too. Isn't Porcupine Plains, yeah. Saskatchewan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You betcha. He was a bigger guy too, wasn't he? Not tall. No, just thick. Just pretty thick. Yeah, and, okay. and just his mental toughness was unbelievable. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just would do anything for a teammate. Okay. Wouldn't back down. But yeah, no, certainly not the biggest fighter in the world. But, no. But uh, fan huh. favorite. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was. He still is involved with the radio and stuff like that. I yeah, think. he is. And he's, everybody just loves him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe I didn't realize it till later. My hockey career did well after that. I played senior hockey. When we moved to town, we played Border Kings. I played against and with yeah. against some really good hockey players, NHL caliber hockey players. And, uh, you know, I'm quite proud of my career. Um, as I developed, you know, I, I was right there with a lot of great hockey players. So, what question I, about that though? When yeah. you're going against NHL guys, like I know you said, Lecision was big and strong, but typically, did you find the guys that were playing in the NHL stronger? No, on average than the not rest of the guys. Average. Not on right? average. No, like okay. Theo, Theo Fleury in yeah. the Allen Cup. Yeah, yeah, like five foot six, but a strong guy. Yeah, yeah, he was strong when he, you know, later in his career when he played, he was, you know, he was five foot six, but strong, pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, huh? Yeah, okay. I just no. didn't know if like there was kind of this. Everybody there is no. elite strong. No, kind of it's, thing. You I know don't what think I mean? so. No, okay. they're they're elite skilled. Okay, they're elite fast. The speed yeah. is unbelievable for sure. Like, like you should see Kelly Chase's hands. Oh really? Oh, it, they're unbelievable. Like, and uh, a good friend of mine who uh, he was from Calvinton, he ended up winning a Memorial Cup with the Portland Winterhawks, and uh, you know, got to know Kelly quite a well. He said, he said, um, 
Kelly Chase's hands were as good as Brett Hull's, but just at a third of the speed. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Like, these guys are skilled hockey players. You, oh, you look at, like, yeah. Probert had, Bob Probert had 60-some points when he played with the Red Wings. He scored 30 goals? Yeah. Like He went to the All-Star game the one year. Like, geez. legit. Well, they can all play. And, yeah. not, and not only can they play, we're getting a little off topic, but if just getting there alone, like, you got to think about it. Um, I use this example with these stupid YouTube boxers you see all the time. It's like, give me three, four million dollars a year to spend on training. And that's all I do is do a sport. I said, I could be on the Canadian golf tour in five years. Most people could, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, so when you look at these guys like Bob Prober, Kelly, maybe, maybe they, maybe they're playing hockey cause they can fight, but they're practicing their skills with the best in the world all day long yep. and then competing at the most highest level to try to make those skills yep. come into. So when they come back and play somewhere, their worst day has become a lot of people's best game ever when they get to that level. Yep. And I've seen it with a few guys that have come back from NHL stuff like that, maybe played senior hockey. Like I remember one guy took a slap shot, dumped a puck in from the red line, took a slap shot in on the goalie and scored. Mm-hmm. in a senior hockey, like a playoff senior right. hockey game because yeah. that dump-in slap shot was probably 95 miles an hour. <laughs> Just being, you know, so yeah. anyway. Yeah, they're good. so back to your question. Yeah. They're, they're, they were unbelievably skilled. Yeah. That's that's what they were so good at. Um, and the speed and the, the, the skill and the speed. Like I remember uh, it was probably, it was, you know, early, when, early in my redshirt season. So the one line was... Um, these were good hockey players, damn good hockey players, was uh, Van Burgess, Brian Purdy, and Derek Tibbetts. Okay. And if you remember the scene from Top Gun when they're fighting those MIGs, <laughs> and those things are just crisscrossing and flipping yeah. and going, that's what it felt like as a defenseman, watching oh. these guys come on you on a three-on-two. It's like, holy shit, which way are they going? And and they're at rocket speed. Yeah. That And, you know, none of those guys played in the show. I think two of them ended up playing professional hockey, but damn, they were good. Right. But, again, you adapt to that. You adapt to that speed over time. So you're, to your point, like, Probert playing at playing with Steve Eiserman for how many years he did it's going to wear off on him yeah, absolutely and you know he ends up with 68 points or I can't remember yeah. exactly was, but it was enough it was enough for having yeah. probably 400 penalty minutes yeah yeah, yeah. so um, you know maybe getting a little off topic but no, that that's that um, you know leads us to this two-factor model we're going to talk about later on is you know strength and and practice right for the skill because you've got to be, you've got to take the same approach to your skill development in terms of accumulating uh, incremental improvements as you do to your strength development, which mm-hmm. is incremental improvements. So, I guess as I reflect back, I didn't recognize my potential as a hockey player, though. To the back to the story, until I got strong. Right. Now, later in life, again, I maybe when I played, I played at about two ten, two fifteen, probably closer to two ten. And again, I maybe would have had, if I had to guess, a 275-sound squat for a set of five. And then I think, what would have been like if I played at 215, 220, and a 450 squat for five? Yeah. Like, it just, everything is so much easier. And that's that was the one realization I had during, you know, as I think about, and again, later in life, think about my journey as an athlete. Because, yeah, today, 450 for a set of five is baseline right. for strength. And it's funny, we've talked lots about this, and I, I like your athletic genius quote that you talk about, and it'll get you to say that idea here in a second, but when um, when we've talked about, like you said, uh, there's some guys out there that pick up on the skill of a sport, simple. And we all oftentimes look at those guys as, well, that's how everybody needs to train. When really, like we've talked about Connor McDavid. Well, Connor McDavid is Connor McDavid. And he's going to do what he does. And there's everybody else in the world after that kind of thing. And like you said, a 450-pound squat is something that with enough time and nutrition and focused training, most guys can do. Yeah. You know, like I've, you know, it might take a little more time for some guys and not others. Like, like I said, when I started training, I was the idea of squatting. Uh, like 150 pounds was ridiculous, right? And I eventually got up around that 450 range and that should have never happened. But when it's a does, you realize, okay, well, life's different here at this place, right? And so if you look at it in sports and stuff like that, I think that what we do with 
is we go and try to do the speed and agility work that Connor McDavid does, thinking you're going to become as strong or as sorry as fast and agile as him, which isn't going to happen for 99.999 percent of people. But you can be stronger than him. That's right. Right, and everybody can do that. And yeah. I think that we we often overlook the things we can change, and instead, as athletes, a lot of people attack what they probably can't change, but they have told themselves that they can. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the part. It's hard to understand, but you can see it. You can see it in athletes when they're little kids. You can just tell the ones that are explosive. We're talking about explosive. Yeah. Connor McDavid is bloody explosive. Oh. Have you ever seen his vertical leap or anything like that? I haven't. I haven't I either. I, I, can't, would, I would assume it's off the charts. It'd be off the charts. I bet yeah. it would be in the range of 36. Probably. The average human male, yeah. say in mid-20s, 22 inches. Is that the right? Average. Hmm. These guys, you know, the reason the NFL uses the vertical jump in their combine is because it, it, it displays explosiveness. You can recruit your athlete based on how explosive he is. Yeah. DK Metcalf for the Seattle Seahawks, an athletic freak, an athletic genius, 40-inch vertical Ooh. jump. You're born with that. Yeah, and you can't train that. You can't. You no. can maybe take it from 38 to 40. No, maybe 38 That's and a half to 40. Yeah. yeah, 10 to 15%. Yeah. Because it's power. Yeah. It's the ability to contract your muscles quickly to explode. And that is controlled by your nervous system, and you're born with that. Absolutely. You can't make your nervous system faster. No. Nope. But we can make you stronger, the force part of the equation. We can do that, and we can do that for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. So, you know, we're talking about biking a little bit, but you know, we've got kids groups here that are anywhere from the ages of 13 to 17, 18. That kids, kids have lots of them squatting in the 300s, a few of them squatting in the 400s mm. at that age. Like, they're squatting... What, at what other gyms people just would be absolutely amazed. They're deadlifting weights that full-grown men can't even yeah. think about. We have kids in here that started with nothing that are the strongest guy if they walk into most box gyms. And we're not talking about, like, the strongest kid. The strong, like, we're talking about 15, 16-year-old kids that with a little bit of training and applying themselves would walk into, like, emotional fitness or fat for less or any of these places and literally be the strongest guy in the gym yeah at 15 or 16 yeah. years old like it's yeah. and that's back to the you just don't understand it until you experience it yeah we do that here all the time this that's baseline <laughs> yeah that's nothing special these are not they're they're good athletes let's not you know deny that some of them mm -hmm. are, are very good athletes but you can do that with just the average kid the average kid that's got a 22 stand, inch standing vertical jump can still we can train them to be very very strong and yeah. then you're a better athlete because and it even, makes it easier even the athletes here too is some of them aren't even that great athletes what it is is through doing sports they just have the discipline to show up yeah you know like a lot yeah. of them are just like well i've been showing up for practice since i was five so if i'm supposed to show up to the gym three days a week and yeah. train that's what i do and then you look at them a year later six eight months even later you're like it's not even the same kid yeah you know you know here's an observation of mine though too because i've you know i've done this for a number of years um the ones that have the hardest time sticking with it are the kids that are more elite yeah i agree it's been too easy for them yeah because it does it's getting strong is hard don't say like like we won't kid ourselves here this it it's hard work yeah but when you're an elite athlete um you're always the best Exactly. It doesn't matter what you years, do. Six years old. Yep. And not that they don't work hard on the field of play, because they do. They work their ass off on the field of play. But to get that uncomfortable, to put a bar on your back and squat down and stand back up with it and not know if you're mm -hmm. going to make it back up, take something special. And I find the more elite guys, it's not 100% like that, but the mm -hmm. more elite guys usually end up quitting when it gets too hard. It's more the, the ones that have to work for everything they got. Yeah. Those are the ones that stick with it, and they and again they achieve amazing results. I agree. Like that was me growing up. Is as long as you, there was what you had to do. Um, I could show up and I could I could squat three hundred pounds or squat thirty pounds, playing volleyball when I was like no matter what I did it was I was usually the best player there. But what happened was I didn't ever really go to any of the actual weight training sessions or anything like that is like well why would i mm -hmm. 
I don't have to. I get the exact same result if I go do it or not. But what I find is that at some point, it matters. And that's what a lot of these kids, and I wished I could go back and tell myself this, is yeah, if I take my strength from, say, zero and increase it to 200% from my current place, this this position I'm playing in right now, which to a hockey player might be AAA, to... um to a football player may be like kind of a higher division, higher tier or whatever that doesn't really matter right now. What's going to matter is where do I want to end up? And if you start building the strength now, even as an elite athlete, eventually that strength is going to be required to play at the highest levels. So it's almost like they just, and I've seen the parents do it as well, where they're like, why you just don't have to do that. But it's like we got to worry about not tomorrow, but worry about where is this athlete going to be in three or four years because eventually that strength is going to be required. Yeah. Like you said, and a lot of them just, they're like, well, why would I do it? It's like, yeah, you don't need it now, but you will. Yeah. Eventually, you will. Yeah, you're going to well, need it's it. It's going to help. Because, yeah. yeah, maybe playing minor hockey, you're the best player on the ice. Mm-hmm. Or minor football, you're the best player on the field. You move to junior, everybody's good. Everybody's good. And in junior, everybody's older yes. typically right especially if you're 16 or 17 yeah so. so what the strength will do is make that game easier for you that's what it did for me and yeah. I've just seen it over and over again absolutely yeah, yeah. i've got a 13 year old through well adam through fighting as he's 14 now that i've been trying to he gets so frustrated because he does mma and he's having to fight 25 to 40 year old men all the time and he's like, what? And he gets so frustrated. I'm like, get stronger yeah. and cut that gap. Because I said, then you could actually start learning at that level too. Because that's if you can play at a sport as a younger guy against older guys, your skill will catch up to them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times why a younger player can't play at a higher level is because of strength. Right. Just right. development. Yeah. So, I don't know, why don't we go to, uh, you know, what makes up performance? Yeah. You know, and, and sort of the philosophy here that uh that we take and and then uh don't talk about the gym a little bit i guess absolutely yeah let's go through kind of the i like some of the the ideas here with this like kind of wrapping your head around these concepts of strength and kind of like as a performance model and stuff so right yeah like let's get going into that world right so we'll we'll take an athlete you know in terms of how do you get the most of an athlete that would be the question how do you optimize it make it the best yeah okay so um and again, this is something I learned, I would say Ripito, Delgadillo were the guys that I've really learned it from, but I believe it's true because when I apply it, it works. Right. It works really damn good. Okay. Yeah. So it's a two-factor model to sports performance. Training and practice. Mm. Okay. So training being the accumulation of physical adaptations, strength, conditioning, power, endurance, that kind of stuff. Practice being just talk a bit closer. Practice being the skill, the development of the game. So practice, uh, practice being the skill. You look at the sport is a skill or a collection of skills. Mm -hmm. Is a better way of putting at it. Putting it, it's a collection of a lot of different skills. If you take fighting, there's striking, grappling, jujitsu, reading your opponent, you know, defense. All those things are skills, and they're developed through practice. They require skill and precision. They require precision and accuracy. Sorry, yeah. they have to be repeatable. That's developed through practice and playing. And you got to play. You got to spar when you fight. You got to actually fight to get better as a fighter. Mm-hmm. You can practice hockey all day long, but if you don't actually play hockey, your 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 skill development plateaus. Yeah, absolutely. So, practice and play. Most important part of being an athlete is that and not just random practice but deliberate practice which means you're trying to plan or make planned incremental improvements to your performance where you're mm-hmm. measuring things so it's not just playing catch with a pitcher it's actually playing catch or pitching and recording how many strikes you make right or how you know what part of the plate you're hitting and trying to make that better like tiger woods would do hundreds of putts from five feet away under pressure and see how many in a row he could get. Right. So it's practicing with a specific purpose, not mm-hmm. just random, let's do this let's today. Let's go, just go, yeah. Let's just do the horseshoe and then we'll uh, play some scrimmage. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's not deliberate practice. No. Deliberate practice is 
our breakout sucks. We need to work on that spill specifically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's practice. One factor. The other factor is training, which again is physical adaptations. And again, it's planned. It's the planned accumulation of physical adaptation and strength being the most important. You can develop other ones, but uh, strength is the most important because it makes everything else easier. And, you know, even conditioning. Conditioning should be specific to the sport, and you develop so much of your conditioning while playing the sport. Play the sport for conditioning. That's your primary conditioning. You can do a little bit extra. Yeah. There is benefit to that. There's no doubt. There's benefit to going for a run as a fighter. Yeah. Because your recovery in between rounds is aerobic. The actual fight isn't aerobic. It's anaerobic. It's short. It's like 50, 10-second rounds. Yeah. It's not a a five-minute round. For sure. It's 50, 10-second rounds. It's hard rest, hard recover. In between rounds, it's rest. That's your aerobic. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's benefit to running as a fighter. Yeah. But it's not going to replace actually sparring. Actually sparring. That's your best conditioning. And conditioning, too, is, you know, this is something I've learned recently in the last few months is that we also don't realize what mental or I didn't there's probably people that do the mental the fact sorry the effect that mentality has on conditioning you know what I mean and like we talk about the fight game is you know you can be in pinpoint optimal gym condition let's say your brain will screw up the the oxygen consumption and and heart rate of your body without even having to go do anything and i guess that that would be the same in every sport where if you're not comfortable in the situation that you're performing in might be making a breakout pass for a defenseman might be you know if a if a hockey player is nervous and scared the entire time he's going to get tired faster his conditioning will suck as a fighter i know this for sure is you know, I, I just competed not long ago, and one of the biggest things, I, I my conditioning was tip-top I as far as I could get it at that point. And when I got fighting, my conditioning sucked as much as the next guy when we're all panicking and, and freaking out. It's just I held back. I, I went back to my train. I had really good training. Therefore, my conditioning was just better because I didn't get as freaked out. Right. And that's so with conditioning, like you said, strength is more important because strength is strength. Where conditioning, there's a lot of variables there and it's it's crazy. Well, it's temporary. Yeah. One, strength is more permanent. But two, like what you described there, I would I would I would also attribute to you have the stress of the performance. So the stress of the performance is also impacting your uh, your conditioning. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, a lot of sense to me because you know, when I observe things it's back to practicing under that pressure as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. You know, so routine ground balls, once you're good at them, really isn't practice. Yeah. No, you're right. A, it's a ground good. ball with two runners on, three out, ahead by one. Way different. Yep. And, and you see, uh, I, I saw it in my daughter's softball team. Yeah. What was a routine play became frantic. Yeah. Right? right? So there's that additional stress you have to adapt to. You can adapt to that stress. Yeah. You know, another skill in terms of conditioning, I would think for fighting, and we've talked about it, is the ability to pace yourself as well. To have the skill in your game, in your fight game, to pace yourself. Because we only have so much energy systems we can expire, especially on the anaerobic scale. You've got a minute, minute and a half of max, max effort. Maybe not even that. And and you could we prove that with the prowler all the time. Absolutely. We we, we say push this as hard as you can there, there and back, there and back with, you know, weighted. And after 20 to 30 seconds, people are completely exhausted. Absolutely. Yeah. Or a set of 20 squats at about 60, 70% of your max mm-hmm. is going to take you five minutes to recover from. Absolutely. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So. But with that token too, is if you take a prowler and push it, say, let's just say that ends up being, say, 200 yards. 100 yards. 100 yards is good. So, okay, I push that prowler and your body's just like, nope, you're done. Well, if you're stronger that prowler's lighter and you actually get more performance out of your conditioning a lot of times. You do. Yeah. yeah. It makes the conditioning better. Yeah. You're actually stronger mentally too. Back to your, the mental game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're capable oh. of more than what you think oh, when you're, sure. when you're really pushed up against it. But if yeah. the more you go into that world, the more confidence you have with it too. Right. And that's what, you know, a lot of people struggle with is, is that 
they can't handle the mental the the moment right a lot of times and only through practice and experience can you adapt to that pressure absolutely right? yep. you see how calm tom brady is under pressure oh for sure he he wasn't just handed that nope he, he practiced it and he developed it over whatever his 20 years of, of as a player and he started off as a no like yeah. he had to work his ass off to get to that right. level so exactly yeah now he'd just be a hell of a lot better if he was actually strong yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He, I don't think he is super strong. No, is he? no, no, not doesn't look not like strong it. at all. He never gets hit. And that's no. how he's played so long. But yeah. smart as hell. Good. Well, and yeah, best player ever. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so then, what was the next point on there? I think we were we were talking about training and practice. You're right. Practice being more important. Yes. But training, especially strength, being the most neglected. Yes. By a mile. By yeah. a mile. Yeah. My back to university. My strength and conditioning program didn't have a strength part. Yeah. <laughs> it was conditioning. What was yeah. what's what? And again, the reason it's neglected, and this is what I believe, is most people have never experienced a true strength program. Right. I would have never dreamed I was capable of, you know, comfortably squatting four fifty. I mean, that's not even close to a, a PR for me. Yeah. 20 years later uh, yeah you just you don't get it you don't get it back to how do you know something's true unless you experience it you maybe don't quite know yeah and so that's a concept that people need to understand when it comes to this because we get a lot of because you got to think for the most part and i hope a lot of parents listen to this podcast because a lot of parents are coming out there being thinking that they know what's going on right and and i'm not you know i've been one um but what you might think, like when I first seen your training model, and we talked about this on the last podcast we've done, when people first see what that strength model looks like, they're like, well, there's no way. Because they're used to seeing these elaborate, you know, different movements, different facets of, of angles and stuff like that. So when you see something as simple as what we utilize in here, it doesn't seem like it should work. No, it's not flashy. Yeah. And so a lot of parents look at it and say, well, that's not, this shouldn't, this is, this shouldn't work because I've seen Connor McDavid do this, or, or that's maybe a bad example. You see like Leon Dreisaitl was a good one because he actually put a lot of work into strength because okay. it made him faster. It seemed, it didn't make him fast, but it made him play the game a lot quicker. Right. Um, so they see these things and they're like, well, that's what my kid needs to do because that's what he did. And, I think that what a lot of people, parents especially, have to realize is that strength itself is highly simple. Like it's not that you're just slowly increasing the stimulus to try to adapt to it. So when they see these things, they're like, well, you know, he should be doing footwork drills and stuff. But as you just said, 99% of the parents that I've gotten in here, no disrespect to any of them, I'd tell this to their face, is they've never experienced strength in, in their life. They've never seen what strength looks like. So therefore, they're trying to say, this is what we talked about earlier, is where we have all these, you know, you know, these paper experts out there that think that their science backs everything, but the results are the results. Right. And that's what we need to look at is, are you stronger? Yes, I am. Yes. And how do you do that? Through very simplistic. Yeah periodization right you just described phenomenology what's actually observed yeah yeah it's yeah. like okay it's not complicated we can make you really strong very strong way stronger than you could ever imagine right. then you know maybe double than what you think and you know it's it's not it's common for us to double someone's strength in three to four months in some well, cases triple it for sure and I guess maybe the parents realized that when we held that, that that strength meet here, yeah, and they saw their kid deadlifting. You know, the candy, the kids were deadlifting anywhere. I don't know in the low three hundreds to mid four hundreds. Yeah, you know. Well, you're seeing dads. you know thirteen year olds out dead deadlift their dads easily, easily. So easily. it's like okay, do you, do you not do, get it? Do you not see how this would maybe be beneficial? Yeah, do you yeah. not understand how much harder you hit when you're oh. twice as strong? It's well. Yeah. Look at how many kids peak, or not peak, but have so much success in football, hockey, everything, at, say, 12, 13, even 10, 11 years old. And why? Because they're bigger. Because they're bigger. They mature earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You see the, 
Like, again, a good friend of mine, shoot, he had chest hair when he was 12 years old. Yeah. But then he stopped growing. Yeah. And by the time he was 16, people had caught, he played junior hockey, but people had caught up to him. He yeah. was an absolute beast at 12. <laughs> yeah. Nobody could stop him. He was right. by far the best hockey player. Yeah. Was but he then, still a beast as? Oh, he was, yeah, he was, but you got, he caught, caught up to him. But right. again, he was, you call him elite and, uh, yeah. He worked on hard. He was a good hockey player. He was a yeah. good friend of mine. Um, but you catch you, yeah. what you think is so far ahead of you when I'm 80 pounds at 12 years old. Yeah. And he's 130, 130. 140. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, shaving. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, so, uh, it's funny too because, like, I, I've told you this story about my son playing, what was it, peewee or bantam hockey, whatever the hell it was. And year one at like about a, you know, 80 pound kid let's say hadn't hit puberty yet they play uh 16 games and he had 15 points something like that and uh he's decent enough like had some skill but lacked strength and he lacked aggression lacked confidence a lot of times fast forward one year he had that growth spurt that kids oftentimes have so he he would have been probably well his equipment didn't even come close to fitting him his second year versus his first year. So that's that's the metric I'm going to use. And in that year, within one or two games, he realized, oh, this is simple because he was so much stronger and he hadn't, he didn't go to any hockey camps, nothing. His skill level was absolutely zero difference between the last game in year one and the first game in year two. None because he doesn't do camps. He doesn't do nothing like that. And in 16 games, he had 100 points, and he had 60-some goals or something like that. And the only thing that changed was strength and size. That was it. That was the only thing that changed. Everything else got easier. Yeah. And the confidence He got stronger. He was, therefore, more powerful. Yeah. And the parent would say, well, his foot speed got better. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. It didn't. His foot speed got stronger. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he got more powerful. Absolutely. That's what it was. He was able to display that strength <coughs> quickly. But yeah, you know, just by growing and expressing um, the hormone, the, the hormone testosterone in your system, you become more efficient. Right. Just as you age, and then after you age, it goes down. It starts to go down. I can I can attest for yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same here. So anyway, um, before I got a sidetrack there on that. So do you mind if we take a little break? I got. It, yeah. Just do a piss, yeah. yeah. Piss break. We can press pause. We can press pause. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, edit that <laughs> Evacuation beginning. Evacuation complete. Evacuation complete. Complete. Evacuation complete. All right, so we're back from piss break. Uh, <laughs> so what we're going to go into now is kind of what we do around here and how things look at Viking. Um, I'm not going to speak for the other facilities, but we have a very solid stance on where we are with strength and stuff like that. I think probably the best one in the area for sure. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of people... Maybe the only one. I think it's the only one, but um, we can say that, um, you know, we when somebody walks in here kind of a lot of people don't are kind of scared to walk through these doors a lot of times especially bring their kids in here and they don't quite see what we do but let's kind of get into that like when young guys or older athletes as well come in here and start training what what is this idea of training now which most of them have never done right a lot of them have done some practice and a little bit of working out see a lot of other gyms with kids working out but what does a training model look like around here for 
Sure. We'll get you well, to we, explain that. We start by teaching you how to get strong and what exercises to do to get strong, to get the most value out of your time in the gym. Yeah. That's what we teach you how to do. And then we teach you the process. Not We, there's lots of qualified coaches here, guys yeah. that understand it, but we teach you that process. And it is a process. It's incrementally improving your strength. In the beginning, every workout, every workout, you're going to set a PR yeah. on the on one of the big lifts, on three, at least three out of the five big lifts. And we're going to teach you how to do that. And we're going to teach you the process of, of um, using your muscles correctly and then doing something you've never done before. And that's yeah. why it's hard. Yeah. Um, we're going to, you know, Tanner's going to give you some advice on how to eat to yeah. train. Yeah. There's the recovery side of training. It's not just lifting weights. Yeah. It's the recovery from lifting weights that makes you stronger. Yeah. So we'll teach you that process. And then how to apply it in terms of power. We'll teach you the power clean, which teaches you to use your muscles explosively. Back to sports performance. It There's the element of explosiveness, of power. And mm. we take your strength and convert that to power, which is, again, strength applied quickly on the field. So, again, strength and training is the general. Yeah, It's general. It applies to everything whether it's lifting a lawnmower into the back of the truck or hitting a guy in the field. Mm -hmm. Strength is general. Strength is strength. Practice, the game, is specific. It's specific to the sport. And you practice it to yeah. get better. And that's what we do here. And we can teach you how to do that. And again, it's amazing results. It really is. And you won't believe it's true until you experience it or see it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And again, it's most neglected by uh, most training programs because most coaches don't understand it or haven't experienced it either most yeah very few i've seen yeah that are actually strong and then too is you do get sometimes i've seen it around where you'll get fairly strong guys that'll be teaching kids strength right now it's not a necessarily a training model as much of just an aggressive working out model where I believe we train, like that's our motto around here, is we train. Yeah. We um, train in the, strength, <coughs> in the strength paradigm. Absolutely. Most strength and conditioning programs is really hard circuit training. Absolutely. Which is a conditioning adaptation. I'm For not saying sure. it's not hard, because it is hard. It is hard. It's actually a lot, it, it's taxing. It's taxing, what, yeah. And you feel like you just had a great right. workout. Right. Which, and for the first six weeks, you probably feel stronger. You probably are a little bit stronger because the... The first gains are the easiest gains. Easiest ones, yeah, absolutely. But after four to six weeks, those gains and you just plateau. Absolutely. But, you know, here at Viking, you, the coaches here, will teach a guy to get stronger for years. Yeah. Some and people, in some cases, decades. That's how persistent and trainable strength is. It's always there. Yeah. As long as you can move, you can get stronger. Right? Pretty and, much, yeah. And the other thing, too, with the athletic piece is that we oftentimes, this is something I didn't necessarily understand until until we started doing this in here and started working with you a bit, is a lot of athletes, too, will train that strength or what seems to be gem training strength. But then to be able to transfer that strength into power is a whole, like, I see, like, CrossFit's great at this where they train the speed and the power but not the strength. Right, so right, the, so it really ends up becoming practice it, of speed. And it, power, yeah, exactly. Not training, practicing the movement of right. a speed, a fast movement. Where what we'll do is try to take like the deadlift versus power clean model, where you're actually taking that strength and make expressing it explosively. Right, which oh, I, you you rarely see those two married together in too many programs right. out yeah. there. We'll take your deadlift to 405 and your power clean to 225. Exactly. And, you, you know, that just, it's rare that people look at it that because they're too busy right. trying to do ladder drills and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. Ladder so. drills is a great example of skill development because I've, I've watched it so many times. Yeah. The first few times you just get an athlete to do it, <laughs> they just look like a newborn baby giraffe. Right. Falling over. After the first week, they start to get it. And second week, they're a little bit faster. Third week, they look awesome. And after that, there's no improvement. Yeah. Because it's a skill. Yep. It's a skill. And it's it's achieved that that rapidly. It's so fast. Yep. It's like an instant, holy shit, I'm faster. Yeah. But right. that's just not the truth. You just got better. At doing it. At doing the. Right. 
we used to have his trainer this kind of the same idea but his trainer in this gym he was this chachi motherfucker like <laughs> lululemon pants skin tight shirt and like number one salesman this was i was working for i think it was world health club or whatever just a yeah anyway this guy was the man right the kind of the used car salesman of, of training and uh every single woman that he used to bring into the gym he's like let me show you two things that are going to change your life and of course a lot of these women walking in were pretty they were really wanting an improvement in some stuff and he had this um there was this kickback machine thing for your triceps yeah. like it was like this you locked your arm right. and it was very isolative he had that and then he had uh it was like a donkey kick kind of like it basically targeted your your ass like bang on so what he would do is he would take these women and he's like, he's like, try this out. And so he would make them do the the tricep machine. Well, every woman, not every woman, but a lot of women out there that come in are worried about their bingo wings. Right. You know what I mean? So they're big flabby triceps. And obviously every chick, well, most girls are worried about what their ass looks like. So he would take them and, and do these two exercises with them and say, well, if this burns today think about where we can get think about doing this every day what kind of shape your triceps and your ass will be in not but they didn't realize that it was the fat on top of <laughs> on top of those muscles but just that sense of burning made them buy membership every single time right every single time and i so when you look at these ladder drills and stuff like that is if i take your kid in and you know you got this 230 pound kid that's 15 years old and I've seen this before, and they're like, the coach just says he needs to have faster feet, and he's going to play in the NHL, right? Or he's going to go places. So then if I take him and in three sessions do ladder skills with him and show the dad this and be like, look at where he is day one, look at where he is day three. Look at how much faster these kids' feet is. His feet aren't faster. Right. His brain has adapted to a pattern and to hitting his feet in a certain spot just better over yeah. three days. Yeah. But it doesn't make him a better skater. No, it doesn't at all. It's the skill is specific. Yeah. But it didn't actually make him anything. It just made him better at the at, ladder, at ladder, putting his feet in a certain spot. displaying his ladder skills. Yeah. 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 So. No, your story about the, uh, you know, feel it burn. Yeah. You know, what's the indication of a great workout? I got a pump. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get them gains, it. bro. Yeah. I'm really sore. <laughs> I have, I, my muscles are so sore. I didn't even know I had them. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. another. So one. many myths. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's an indication of just eccentric contraction you're not adapted to. Absolutely. But what's the indication of a great workout? How about a PR? Absolutely. Yeah. How about a PR every workout for three months? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How about doubling your strength in three to four months? And the crazy thing is, is when that happens, your muscles themselves typically aren't that sore. They will be for a bit. Your first workout, your squads are going to be sore because sure. you're not adapted to the eccentric portion of the squat. <clears throat> And after two or three, you're adapted and you're a little bit sore. Right. But you're sleeping better. Yeah. You're eating better, generally. But the problem... The, you look better. When you and I have talked about this too, is when you actually start heavy strength training, the muscles, your your, your signs of overtraining or, or, or being poorly recovered aren't muscle soreness as much as it's more of a nervous system. Yeah, your nervous system than, gets taxed. Right? Yeah. And that's because we're training the movements here not the muscles yeah right yeah, we are and we are taxing the nervous system as well when we're yeah. doing, you know especially when you start getting very very strong initially it's not taxing on the nervous system right you learn to use your muscles more efficiently at first that's where it comes from later on your muscles start to get they build muscle fibers you actually get a little bigger you get a little and those muscle fibers contract harder and you, you put on muscle mass that's how you the process of getting stronger later on is realizing that potential absolutely but initially again the initial gains are easy we make big jumps initially, oh. and then they slow later on because as you progress and get closer to your potential, more gains require a little more work for a little less return. And that's that principle of diminishing returns, Absolutely. and we'll talk about it some other time. Yeah, but and I mean this is uh, important too because a lot of um, like you've talked about is okay because when you do build strength, you will build muscle. Yes, like it will happen now in varying degrees depending i mean i believe nutrition has a lot to do with it and how much your body will allow itself to get bigger but like uh, uh, there's a point you brought up on so say if if stronger is better then why isn't why isn't there 300 pound nhl hockey players 
Right. Right. Which is back to the principle of diminishing returns. Right. So, um, as we approach uh, as we approach our strength potential, the rate of gain slows down, and the rate of gain comes through getting bigger. Hmm. At some point, there's a there's a point where you, but your body weight increase is linear. So. Uh, there's not really a principle of doing linear returns. It's like, I'm 250, well, I'm 252, 253. It just right. goes up linearly. There's a point where the additional strength, and this is when you're already very, very strong. Absolutely. But the, <coughs> the associated body weight increase with the incremental uh, increase in strength isn't worth it. Right. You know, eventually, you know, a bigger engine doesn't make a car go slower. But if you've taken your car and turned it into a cement truck, you're going to move a little slower. Right. So there's that ideal or optimal strength to body weight ratio for the sport you play. Right. Um, a marathon runner is a really easy way to explain it. Most marathon runners are very skinny. They're 120 pounds, six foot two, six foot three, whatever. They're skinny and they're very mm. weak. Yep. Now, you, knowing what you know, you could take that marathon runner and make them 225 pounds and you could increase their strength 4x because they're that weak mm -hmm. but that would not be beneficial to the sport of marathon because the additional body weight isn't worth the strength that was gained right but you you could take them from 120 to 125 let's say and increase their strength by 150 percent right and they will be a better marathon runner yeah yeah same thing with the hockey player so a hockey player playing at 200 pounds with a 225 squat but well, we could take them to 215 mm -hmm. and a 400 pound squat, you're a better hockey player. You're a better hockey player. Yeah. yeah. So there's, again, but taking him from 215 to 260 for a 500 pound squat maybe mm -hmm. isn't worth it. Absolutely. Right? So there's that principle of diminishing returns. And, and so, again, back to that two factor, factor model and training and practice. We train for strength to display that on the field of play optimally. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's too, like, you'll see the NHL. Like uh, the Oilers just signed that Zach Hyman or whatever. Yep. And they're like, you know, great big, you know, two-way forward, likes to crash, bang, huge bodied guy, 211 pounds. I was like, I, you remember hockey in the, the 90s? That was a tiny little winger. Like that's what a, was... That's a small player. That was a small player back yeah. then. Now that's become a big player yep. again because they have manipulated the body weights for speed. Right. Right. So it's speed is more essential Therefore, they've brought the weight of the players down, but they're still, I bet you they're stronger right. than they would have been yeah. back then. I mean, maybe not mass-wise, but yeah, there's more guys reward around. For, there's more reward for skill. Yeah. But now let's look at, like, the, the truly beasts of the NHL. Yeah. Crosby. I mean, you see his legs? Yeah. Dude's big. Yeah, that's a... What, what does Ovechkin play at? 240, 245? Yeah, I think at 6'2? I think he's in the 230s now that he's a little older, but right. yeah, 6'2, 235, yeah. something like that. Yeah. How would you like to get hit by Dustin Bufflin? Yeah. At 265? Yeah. No. Or Nathan McKinnon, another right. beast of a man. Like these guys, yeah. you know, they are highly skilled, but they're strong as hell. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And genetically just well, for sure. off they, the charts. Genetically off the charts. Yeah. yeah they're they are just something else. Yeah. Right? They're like Albert Einstein. But a hockey player. Yeah, that's yeah. actually such a good. You should tell. You should say that. That you've told me that before. Yeah. Comparing, like, say, a Connor McDavid with an Einstein. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's do what Connor McDavid does. Well, yeah. Albert Einstein dropped out of high out of school in grade eight. Yeah. We should all do that because he ended up being the greatest physicist of all time. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to yeah. do what you know. That's the phenomenology. Well, the greatest guys do this. Yeah. But understand the process and the logic. Yeah. Um, is one of those things that, you know. How do you know something's true? We fail to do that a right. lot, I notice, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, no, one thing we did mention, like, so if stronger isn't better for sports to performance, mm -hmm. let's take that. Why do athletes take steroids? Yeah, there you go. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Why, does, why do sprinters take steroids if it doesn't help them? Absolutely. Because it's not, doesn't help their technique? No, not at all. I mean. It doesn't affect their nervous system. No. There's one thing, it makes them stronger. Stronger. It makes a baseball player hit the ball harder. Because he's stronger. Absolutely. It makes a football player hit the guy harder because he's stronger. It Same helps. with a fighter. The recovery, it definitely helps with recovery. But a lot of that recovery is based around getting stronger. Right. You know, it's like, recovering from the workout. Right. That's like what it's, it, it's most prevalent in baseball. 
I've, I believe. MMA, I know that there's been talk. I, I don't know enough about yeah, there's the, a few, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, baseball was always the one. And if you think about it, the baseball players have to, you know, they would have to work out batting practice and a baseball game that lasts five hours every day, mm-hmm. right? Well, of course they're all taking right. steroids. It's because now, because otherwise you're going to sacrifice that working out a lot of times and then they're not as strong right right but then all of a sudden they can get stronger and recover enough to go do batting practice and then go hit 700 foot home runs in the evening right, right? and get more out of the workout like that's yeah absolutely I, like, I don't understand steroids real well but yeah. you're more sensitive to the training so yes. the response you get from squatting 225 is better yeah. if you're on steroids than if you're not a lot of times it's protein synthesis is what is the the basis around why steroids work so good is because the every ounce of protein in your body gets utilized towards muscle mass and what's muscle mass it's strength it's well muscle mass is protein yeah oh sorry yeah (laughs) yeah but increased muscle mass usually is increased strength usually usually unless it's water um but yeah there's uh that that correlation is is oftentimes kind of screwed up in this world of saying um like that it's not a it's not a very detailed approach to look at strength a lot of a lot of times with this and i think that that's where we're trying to turn this around on people is to say okay when you're coming in here to talk like get back to the gym stuff is you're coming in here to get stronger right that's what we're going to teach you to do exactly yep there is a conditioning element to it but your number one reason to be here is to become strong yep and we can teach you the conditioning as well very quickly way (laughs) way easier yeah than understanding strength development yeah conditioning's not that hard it's It's not rocket science it's not rocket science yeah Yeah. one of my i mean my favorite story about conditioning and you know this is my uh, my opinion. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But you think Canada, Russia, nineteen seventy two, mm-hmm. first four games, Russia came over here, kind of kicked our ass. Right. Who was the better conditioned team? The the Soviets. Absolutely. By far, Canada. Yeah. They, they're still smoking cigarettes in the dressing room. They just kinda, exactly. We'll, we'll play our way into hot shape. dogs and darts. Yeah. Two weeks later, or whenever they go back to Russia, was there much a difference in the condition? You know, the conditioning of the hockey players just by playing. There wasn't. And yeah. We won three out of the four games there. Yeah. So conditioning comes so quickly. And you can prove that to yourself by just picking a conditioning workout and doing it and timing yourself. And then doing it again a week later and timing yourself, you'll see improvement. And doing it again a week later and timing yourself, you'll see a bit more, a little bit improvement. And by the fourth time you do it, there's not much improvement after that. No. It's no, that. it's very hard to... Yeah, it's like... Two weeks, you can be pretty close to being in the shape you need to be to to compete somewhere. Like it's it's not that hard to do. And then you know, but it gets more complicated as you get to an elite level, for sure. For sure. Like we're not. Let's not just bash it all. But but at the same time, as it's, um, you're not at. I like we don't have any. Like I I look at Dustin Poirier is always my example Mm -hmm. of of strength and conditioning, and I've told you about this. Is there's a guy that maybe shouldn't even be there but because of strength and conditioning but strength more than anything is there now and that's just a slow progression because i've watched how he does his how he how he trains and it is such an emphasis put on that but when i watch his conditioning they're they're splitting hairs Mm -hmm. with him at this point like they're training different every energy system he has going right (coughs) <coughs> sorry what were you gonna say there well i'm just i would what i'd add it he is <coughs> he's the ideal of training and practice absolutely look at his skill development over the last seven years yeah it's through, and mental development yes yeah through but you know accumulating his his wrestling game his jiu-jitsu game his striking game yeah and at the same time getting stronger like that's that's the model we're, we're kind of talking about when we, we talk about sports performance. Absolutely. And I think he's, he's a great example least, of that approach. I didn't even like the guy, and now I'm starting to like him more and more. Yeah, just him. because, like I said, too, his meant what his strength, conditioning, and then skills practicing is does, it, it's affected him mentally. 
He's, you know, you watch him in the last McGregor fight. McGregor's going off being McGregor about everything. Boy, he's sitting there laughing at him yeah. the whole time. He's Just like, what are, you, yeah, what are you going to do, man? Yeah. He's like, I, I've seen you break already. Because that's the thing about McGregor. <clears throat> Not that I've seen him train a whole lot, but I don't think he goes to the level that Poirier does. And once his facade breaks, Poirier had him. Yeah. Once that, once his projection broke, he was done. Yeah. It was over. And and Poirier was so calm, yeah. so composed. Yeah. He just all this stuff around me is noise. Nothing. But he was zeroed in, just like a warrior. Absolutely. He knew his job. It's and we, that's that's that again practicing under pressure, not being frantic, right. being composed. Like you've done this before. Like you've done <coughs> it a million times. And yeah, I love. I love his story, man. Oh, it's it's good. And another guy was that we'll, we'll finish with this one too is that story I was telling you about John Donaher, yep. the jiu-jitsu coach. Yep. And this is a good example of this as well, where of the mental game of athletes is he 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 tells a story. John Donaher, for people that don't know, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach, one of the best. Well, he's the best coach in the world. It's off the charts. He's taking guys that are that are like brand new and in five years the world champions kind of thing just the way that he breaks the sport down is ridiculous what he does is um he he reflects back i watched an interview about this um he's talking about this guy that came to his school the guy he's from new zealand i think is where he's from is where john donner's from and this guy came he was supposed to be a stunt man or what do they call it a daredevil he was talking about anyway there was a they had a school and uh, there was like a gym right beside the school kind of thing and whatever. And there was a gap between, I don't know, 20 feet, 10 feet between these two. And the guy put a plank on the on the ground or on in between the two buildings and walked across it. He said, well, all these kids are like, wow, never seen anything like that before. And he said, uh, you know, the guy came down and they're asking all these questions. He's like, well, how did you do that? And the guy put the plank on the ground and goes, walk across the plank. So all these kids are walking back and they're like, see, nothing's changed, right? And... These kids are like, well, but, you know, if you put it up there, why is it so much harder? And these kids are like, well, we don't know. Like, you do it so easy up there. We do it easier, but we could never do it up either. And he says, the environment is the only thing that changed. The plank, the, the plank is the same. And when I watch Dustin Poirier fight, I'm starting to see what his training does is he's made it so that when he trains and goes into fight, it's just the plank. He's taken the environment and erased it. And that's what John Donaher does with his, his fighters a lot of time. He's like, if I can put a guy on the jiu-jitsu mats and in their mind, they're just training in the gym and they can get rid of all the smoke and mirrors and everything, he goes, they're going to be dialed in because they don't get lost in the moment, yeah. right? And that's why I watch Poye now get to this point where he can actually let his skills go and let his training go and display it fully because, like I said, it seems to me like he's just realized it's just a plank. Mm-hmm. Then he goes in and does it. And it's masterful. It's awesome yeah. to watch. It's not, right? not something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Great place to wrap there. I believe so. Yeah. So anyway, we'll uh, shut this down and... We will return with another one of these here in the near future. So. Yeah, yeah, we could talk about adults. I think that'd be a fun one. I think that'd be great. Yep. And um, this is interactive with this podcast that we're doing with Viking now. So anybody want questions answered, anything like that, uh, Steve will be coming on the YouTube channel that we're getting going to. So anything that you want to ask him, ask me, ask any of us here at the gym that you want to answer, do so through the social medias. Um and we will either do an entire podcast on it, maybe do the questions on that, or YouTube type videos on it. So, you got anything else to add there, no, Steve? That was awesome. Appreciate All right. It. Well, Thanks. take care out there. We're out.